about coming to the end of this series I thought about that rabbit who was running away from that hunting dog and he finally made it to his hole and took out his handkerchief and wiped his brow and said I'm sure glad this is over some of you single people are glad this is over some of you married folk are glad this is over and after this morning some of us who've been divorced will be glad this is over but it's the word of God, and I cannot escape it. I cannot go around it because it is the divinely inspired, written word of God. Being single is not a disease. Being married is not a cure. Marriage is hard. It's like eating with chopsticks. It looks easy till you try it. Marriage is kind of like hitting a seven iron 180 yards. Tiger Woods and them make it look real easy until you pick up a golf club and find how, how hard it is. For a man and a woman to build a life together bringing their often conflicting needs and desires into a harmonious whole is a great challenge, only possible by the grace of God. In this three-part series, I have tried to say a word to singles, married couples, and finally, to the ones of us who have been through the pain and complications of divorce, which has cast its shadow across every congregation, yet the church fails to address this issue forthrightly. I want to begin by uh, getting rid of some faulty information repeated for years in the popular media reports. It is not true that 50% of marriages end in divorce. That is falsely reported by the mass media. After extensive statistical analysis, according to the, one of the most recent Census Bureau surveys, 72% of people who got married are still married to their first spouse. 72% of people who have ever been married are still married to their first spouse. They are still together. They've wanted to kill each other, but they are still together. And within the remaining 28%, of these people, there are not persons who are divorced, but they are widowed through death 
are couples who are now living together instead of getting married. And more and more people are just choosing to remain single. It just gets more media coverage to say that half of all marriages end in divorce rather than most marriages last for a lifetime. I am not indecisive about this preachment this morning nor unmindful that this is an unpleasant topic to both preach and to hear preached, particularly because I myself have been divorced and am now remarried. But it is a topic that touches every life in this church in one fashion or another. Now, brothers and sisters, for context, the only definitive thing Jesus said about marriage is in response to questions posed to him by Pharisees who were trying to trap him. The only definitive thing in the New Testament that Jesus says about marriage is what God has joined together. Let no man put asunder. And the only definitive thing that Paul ever said about the subject of marriage is in this morning's message in verse number 15, God has called us to peace. Divorce. Divorce is grieved differently from the loss of a spouse through death because both partners are still alive. And when children are involved, it is doubly worse. Though one may be relieved once the divorce is final, one still wishes that things had turned out differently. Because nobody gets married beautiful and dressed up on their wedding day and says, I can't wait to get a divorce. Because, brothers and sisters, listen, you look back on lost years, on bitter conflicts, and divorce becomes a living death of the marriage that once was. It's a living death. It's not a clean tear. It's not a clean break. It's a brutal amputation. Families are broken apart. Friendships take sides. And not only is divorce messy, but it is a change of life direction. It's a change of your life's rhythm and if you can't get in a rhythm, it takes years to find it because you've been so accustomed to one kind of lifestyle and now you have to change because you are now in a living death. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. The body of Christ often fails to recognize the brothers and sisters in Christ who have been divorced and they are now often vulnerable because of the violation of the ordeal of divorce and they might now have trouble trusting again 
and often feel that there is no one to turn to. They are often forced to live between the familiar past and the unexpected future. My desire this morning is to be sensitive to those who have been divorced and for all of us to turn our attention to the word of God and allow the scripture to guide us in our understanding. There's a clear word for us in this passage of scripture in verses 10 and 11. There's a clear word for us today. To the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does separate, let her remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband and that the husband should not divorce his wife. Now, in order for you to get a clear understanding of what Paul is writing, the social conditions in the time of Paul's writing to these Corinthian believers will be helpful in our understanding of his position. Paul is writing to a church in response to many of the problems that were going on in the church at Corinth. And one of their problems, besides getting into fist fights around the Lord's Supper table and, and coming to church drunk and women disagreeing with each other and having problems over the resurrection, in spite of all of those problems, on top of that, Paul writes to them to correct them in this matter of marriage and divorce because many of them in the congregation had been married 15 to 20 times. Can you imagine that? One time, all right. Two times, hallelujah. 15 times? 15 weddings, 15 receptions, 15 family reunions, 15 crazy people. And Paul writes to them because the world's standards ought not be the church's standards. <clears throat> We believers ought not take our cue from the world. The world ought to get their cues from the body of Christ. Hear me, brothers and sisters. Sexual intercourse in marriage is not merely the satisfaction of individual appetites, but it links two persons together literally and spiritually. It affects what it symbolizes, and it symbolizes what it affects. They become, the husband and the wife, become a living illustration of the relationship between Christ and his church. That's what marriage represents. Marriage represents the union between Christ and his church. And the, the bond, the covenant between Christ and the church is indissoluble. The covenant between a man and a woman in marriage is supposed to be indissoluble because it represents the symbolism of Christ and the church. But there are times 
when divorce happens. Jesus allowed it because of sexual immorality. Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew and Mark, when there is sexual immorality in the marriage, the person can divorce. Jesus allows it, but he does not command it. And the reason he does not command it is because this little word is in there called forgiveness. And if the person who has committed the sexual offense repents and asks for forgiveness and the offending party does not forgive, they are as guilty as the one who committed the offense. Somebody ought to help me preach here this morning. Because the state of Texas and I'm sure other states across the country have what is called no-fault divorce. Or they have what is called divorce because of irreconcilable differences. There are no differences between believers that ought to ever be irreconcilable. Because when it comes to Jesus Christ, everything can be reconciled except for the few things I'm about to mention that God allows you to get out of a destructive situation. Jesus allowed it because of sexual immorality, but he did not command it. Paul allowed divorce if the unsaved partner is in a marriage with a believer and chooses to walk away, then Paul says the one who stays, the saved person, is not bound to make nobody stay with him who don't want to stay with him. You can't make nobody stay married to you. If they want to leave, if they are not happy in the marriage, you are praying, you are asking God to keep it together. If those persons are not happy in that situation, the scripture says you are not bound in that relationship. I had uh, two people in my life, two older people in my life. Uh, they've gone to be with the Lord now. They have some family, some relatives here, here in Lily Grove. Uh, Miss Dolores Owens and Miss Gloria Baptiste. Uh, they were good friends of mine, uh, uh, identical twins. They've gone to be with the Lord now. And uh, both of them would say, be careful marrying foreigners. And, and I, for the longest I heard them say that, and I finally asked, Nan, what do you mean by a foreigner? He not, or she's not married to somebody from a foreign country. She said, I don't mean from a foreign country. She said, anybody who does not share your values is a foreigner. Anybody who wasn't raised like you was raised, anybody who don't think like you think, don't, don't, don't get involved with them because you're marrying a foreigner. He, he, she, she, she wanted me to understand a clear word from the Lord. And the clear word from the Lord is that if there is a marriage bond, if there is a covenant of marriage, it is God's will that you stay married for a lifetime, but there are times when that does not happen. Let me deal with that a minute. There's a conditional word in the scriptures. Sometimes a saved person steps outside the clear teachings of the scripture and marries an unbeliever. You stand 
outside the clear teachings of scripture and marry an unbeliever. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14 says, Be not unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion has light with darkness? Are y'all listening to me? Listen, God through Jesus Christ in Matthew and Mark's gospel, they were trying to trap him about divorce saying, um, uh, suppose somebody's married and then the person dies and they marry another person, who's going to be their husband in heaven? Or who's going to be the wife in heaven? Suppose they've been married 15 times like these Corinthians. Who's going to be the wife or the husband in heaven? Jesus said there's no marrying and giving away in heaven. We are all children of God. You can't trap me with that. And so they tried another trick. They said, well, suppose there's a divorce because Moses said you can give them a bill of divorcement. Jesus said Moses allowed it because of the hardness of your heart. And whenever a person is hard-hearted in the relationship, I don't care what you say to them. If they've made up their mind to leave, they can stay five years, but they're gone. Their body is here with you. But their mind is on the other side of town. And you're messing me around. Don't act like y'all don't know that song. Listen. God permitted divorce because of sexual immorality. He did not command it because forgiveness and reconciliation is always God's plan. And then Paul allows it if the unsaved person wants to walk out. He said, let them go because you're not bound. But then he says, who knows, you, your saved testimony could win that lost person. Your righteousness could win that lost person. But often, here is the case. When you marry an unsaved person, instead of you rubbing off on them, they rub off on you. And before you know it, you start living like you wasn't raised. You married to somebody who don't love the Lord, before you know it, you're going to happy hour every other day. You out in the club dancing and drinking and, and, and you staying away from church and you staying away from fellowship because light and darkness can't dwell under the same roof. Talk back to me if you can. No, no, you, you can't turn nobody into a housewife who want to be a hoochie mama. You, you can't turn no man into a husband who want to be a cat daddy. Be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. If they don't have your spiritual values, you look good, but bye. If she can't cook, if she don't know how to wash, 
If she don't want to wash dishes, if she don't want to clean the house, bye Felicia. Here are some clarifying words. I'm trying to give you a clear word from the scripture, a conditional word from the scripture, and a clarifying word from the scripture. To the rest I say, I and not the Lord, that if any believer has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to, li to live with him, he should not divorce her. And if any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy through his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy through her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so in such a case. I want to deal with that in such a case for a minute. God does not want you in a relationship, marriage, dating, courting, that is physically unsafe. <clears throat> God does not desire that you be in a relationship that is abusive. Somebody hitting you and cussing you and, and listen abuse is not always physical some women bear scars that are on the inside you have been psychologically abused you have been emotionally abused God does not want you in a relationship where he keeps all the money and gives you $10 and tells you that's for the whole week. And uh, what I say goes, because I'm the man at his house, uh, uh, God don't want you in a nursery. Man, if you're so small and so insecure that that woman got to come under you and do everything you say, you better not marry a black woman. Because she'll tell you in a minute, Negro, is you out your mind? My daddy raised me. Somebody ought to help me preach here. If, if, you, if you're that small to think that you've got to control somebody, that's not a relationship that God wants you in. I've done some work in years past with, uh, with Pam and the Houston Area Women's Center where I've gone to counsel in the, in the women's center, uh, and, and it's heartbreaking for women who have been abused sexually in their marriage, raped in their marriage. They have been beaten almost beyond recognition. And then the man uses the scripture that the husband is the head of the wife. You cannot use scripture to abuse. You cannot use scripture to justify what God clearly is against. If you are in a destructive relationship, get out. Move. God will help you to get back on your feet and move you to another place where you can become all the woman or all the man that God wants you to be because some men are getting beaten up by women. 
Yeah, it's, 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 it's some women I, I would fuss with, but... But I believe they can take me. And so I just walk away and act like, yeah, you better shut up your mouth. I get in my car and lock the door and raise the window. <laughs> Hear me, beloved. To those of us who have been divorced, please hear these words that I'm going to speak. God loves you. And if you ask him, he will forgive you of your sin. People here who have been divorced, listen to these words. Watch these words come out of my mouth. You are not a second-class citizen. And you have absolutely no need to feel guilty about your past. Because you are not what you've been through. Somebody ought to help me talk here. You've been through a divorce. You're not divorced. God still loves you. You've been through some pain. You are not the pain you've been through. God still has his hand on your life. And I want you to get this. In several white churches, they believe that if you're divorced, you are disqualified for Christian service. That's what is believed in many mainline white churches. That when you're divorced, you have to come down. You are no longer useful in the kingdom of God. If that were the case, you don't need to be listening to me this morning. Because no matter how you fall along this spectrum, if you come to God believing in faith, God will raise you up, take you out of the situation you find yourself in, stand you on your feet again, and use you in his service. Because some of the most broken people in this church are some of the most useful people in this church. God can use you floating on broken pieces. God can redeem your divorce and turn it into a deliverance. God can redeem your brokenness and make you a church school teacher. God can redeem your divorce and stand you up as an example before women that you might have fallen down, but you can stand back up again. God can use you for somebody who walks out in your life. God will send somebody to walk back into your life. And then if nobody else walks into your life, you got somebody who's been there all the time. And that somebody is the man Jesus Christ. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If you've been divorced, divorce is no greater a sin than gossip, lying, overeating, laziness, homosexuality 
fornication, adultery, impurities of any kind, all unrighteousness is sin. There are no graduations of sin. There's no one sin greater than any other sin. And just like God forgave me of my lying, when I asked him, he forgave me of my divorce, stood me up on my feet again, gave me power to preach his word, because Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. I'm through. But Frederick Beekner said, even the saddest things can become once we have made peace with them. Even the saddest things can become once we've made peace with them a source of wisdom and strength for the journey that lies ahead. What you have been through is not to be compared to what you're on your way to. Um, instead of filling your days with regret, your duty is to submit yourself to the Lord and to your new life because the problem, brothers and sisters, with regret is that regret is irreversible. It freezes your life into a snapshot and you are stuck with what was instead of what could have been. I want to say this to you as I close. Divorce is a snapshot in your life and God wants your life to be a motion picture. Keep moving after your divorce. Stand up on your feet again and do what it is that God has called you to do. Don't let shame and blame and regret and embarrassment because listen, some of the hardest people in the world on divorce people are church people. Can I say this? We are quick to judge people in the pews and condemn them for sins of the flesh while we let leaders get away with murder. People in the pews are condemned and judged because of their singleness or their divorce or because their marriage is in trouble or their child got pregnant or they had an abortion. And we go through all of the spiritual gymnastics to condemn them and people in leadership disguise their pride and their arrogance masquerading as conviction and we let them lead a Bible study and pray a prayer when their sins are worse than the people we're trying to condemn. All have sinned. Every last one of us comes short 
of the glory of God. And if it were not for grace, you would have to crawl out of here just like me. Have I got a witness here? If it were not for God's goodness and God's mercy and God covering you, Because listen, children, some folk in here still married out of convenience. It's cheaper to keep her. You ain't that much in love. And you criticizing folk who made the choice to leave. There's a word for you and I'm through. In the Old Testament, there's a story that I want to close with. It's about a man named Hosea. and a woman named Goma. Some of y'all know that story. Hosea and Goma started out real good. But somewhere along the line, it got messed up in translation. And Goma decided that she wanted another life altogether. She left Hosea with the children and went to the red light district. She took on a life of whoredom. She was in the streets. She was dropping it like it's hot. She was in the club saying, it's getting hot in here. I'm going to take my clothes off. Shake your fast. Show me what you're working with. And Hosea is at home taking care of his children and giving God the glory. Somebody ought to help me close here. Goma now is ragged. The years have taken their toll. She's a hag now. Nobody wants to see her. Nobody wants to dance with her. Nobody's buying her drinks. Nobody's taking her out because the world has wore all the pretty off her and the devil has stolen all the joy from her. And when she gets down to absolutely nothing, God tells Hosea, go get her. Go redeem her. Go get her off the block. Go and bring her back to yourself. And that will be a picture of what happens with God and us. When you were nothing and low down and on the ground and nobody else wanted to have anything to do with you, God told Jesus, go get her. And one Friday, on a hill called Calvary, he came and got me. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. 
sin had left a crimson stain. But one Wednesday in Eunice, he washed me. I wish I had a witness here. Somebody ought to help me testify. I was on my way to hell, but Jesus came and bought me from the auction block. I've been redeemed. I've been washed in the blood of the crucified lamb. And what's in my past, God has left it in my past. The mistakes I've made yesterday, God left them in yesterday. The trash that's in my past, God has closed the door on that. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Don't you hang your head down because you've been divorced. God can still get glory out of your life. Don't you let people make you feel bad because you made some mistakes. All of us got some skeletons in the closet. Everybody here got some decisions you wish you hadn't made and some roads you wish you hadn't traveled. But were it not for the grace of God, you couldn't stand up and shout this morning. But because God made a way, because God opened the door, because God forgave me of my sins, I am brand new. Yeah. 